Welcome back to another Yak Podcast. Uh, we're continuing our series on things of the earth this week, and we dive into the idea of um, if God is author, how do we respond as creature? Um, so I hope you enjoy. Tonight's talk is created to be creature, or just creature. So far, we've established three things. One, ironically, is that God is a triune God, meaning relationships are part of His being. He is created to be in a relationship with Himself and His creation. To be intimate with another is part of who He is. Relationships, intimacy is part of His nature. Second thing we've established is God is author. You make choices and God is sovereign. How that works exactly, we don't know, but we cannot doubt it. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense if God intimately knows his creation. And for those who are elect or are called to be his, it even makes more sense. Third thing we've established, God is creator. He made everything. If you are a golf ball, anybody? You are size-wise very small to him, but he knows every cell of your being and sustains every cell. And through the rest of time, he will hold you in existence because he intimately knows you and loves you. Today, we focus, our focus turns a little towards us because this is your first fill in the blank. If God is creator, that means we are Creature. <clears throat> Good try. <laughs> Creature. It has, the, it has the letters in it. It does. How? But how are we to be creature? What does it mean to be creature? Let's paint a picture. It starts in Genesis 1. God calls things into existence, which is, again, pretty amazing if you just think about it. He calls it into existence. He doesn't craft it. He doesn't have to spend time creating it. He calls it. He calls light. He calls the void. He calls the planets. He calls the stars, the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the animals that walk and move along the ground. He calls those things, and then he calls them good. But he does spend time making one creature. This is from Genesis 2. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord had not caused it to rain on the land, there was no man to work the ground. And in the mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east, and there he put the man who he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life is in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. One that will be his image bearer. One that will rule over the things of the earth. One that will have an intimate relationship with him. He creates man and says it is very good. God's first superlative in the Old Testament for all of you English people had to do with creation. After he created you. 
So when you stand on top of a mountain and look at the vastness of the landscape and go, wow. And when you snorkel in the oceans and see some amazing creatures and go, wow. And when you stare into the heavens and can't fathom their beauty and size and power, God looks at you, his image bearer, and sees that as greater than anything else he has created. He looks at you and he says, very wow. You are the exclamation point of his creation. So creation is good because God said it was. And as his image bearer, man is very good because God said it was. All those things that are material, all those things that have a spiritual nature breathed into them as well, he calls good. As finite or limited, the opposite of infinite creatures, placed into time and space, or finite creatures placed into time and space for a particular purpose. But the story doesn't end there. Genesis 2 isn't the end. He lavishes man with five senses, with food, with beauty, with himself. Joe Rigney says in his book, Things of the Earth, which this whole series is based after, Behold the lavishness of God in providing for our physical needs. Earlier we were told that God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. Now we're told that they're almost all for us with divine endorsement. Look at all the plants yielding seed. Behold, every tree bearing fruit. Beautiful, aren't they? That's why I gave you eyes to see such beautiful sights. Wait until you taste them. It'll be a party in your mouth. You may eat every one of them. All of them are yours for food, except one. There's only one no in this world full of yes, and even it is temporary. Eat, drink, and be merry. But he isn't done. The first thing he says is not good is that man be alone. Why? Because he designed us to be companions with one another. Just like his very nature, being in relationship, he desires us to have similar relationship. I love what Joe says here about solitude. The place we run in our shame or our disgrace where we tend to hide when we were never meant to go through things alone. It's the natural place we hide when we're in shame or we're sad or we're disgraced. We run to a lone space, but that's not where God called us to. He called us to a companion place. Joe Rigney says, Adam's solitude, even with God as his companion, is a defect. And God, in his goodness, acts to remedy this lack. Note this, and this is your next fill in the blank. God acts. God meets the need. God gives life and breath in all things, including companionship. But God has designed us so that he would meet some of our needs through other people. But God has designed us so that he would meet some of our needs through other people. We were designed to be in relationship. We ought not to dispute this point with God. There's no virtue in being more spiritual than he is here. Infinite wisdom directed him to mediate uh, his all-satisfying presence to us through suitable created companions. Do not be like, well, you know, I just think it's better for me to be alone. No, God made you to be with people. Get over yourself. You're not more holy than God. Okay? Every introvert in the world, yeah, you got to deal with that. That's including me. 
I want a lemonade, a hammock, and a book. I want no one to bother me most of the time. But really, at the end of it all, after I'm done tell, reading the book, I want to tell somebody about it. <clears throat> and this is just not a passage for marriage. You are born into a family that also, by design, should also fulfill those basic needs. He has predestined you to a certain congregation to do the same, to walk you through the joys and trials of life. He knows exactly what you need and regularly puts people in your life that can advise and walk you through life. How many times do we push those people away or not even attempt to engage with others because we are scared their view of the situation might be different than ours? He has placed you in specific relationships for a reason. Some of you need to wake up and realize that. Maybe I should ask them certain questions about life. They're there for a reason. They're good at that too. I wonder if I should talk to them about that. See if I'm gifted at that as well. So back to Adam. God fashions woman. Again, I've said it before. God made man. And he fashioned women. There's a reason they look so much better than us men. It's God's thing. And it is very good. And how does man respond? With words. He recites the first poem for his love. This is Adam in verse 23. This at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Joe Rigney expounds on this. You come from me, but you are not me. Your bones are built from my bones. Your flesh was cut from my flesh. We are alike but different. We are the same but sundered. God has torn me in two only to put me together again. He has removed from me a rib so that he might in return, return it with interest. He has divided me from myself so that, solidarity, sol, so that solitary unity might give away to complementary union. What name will express this? I am Adam, formed by Yahweh from the ground. That's his literal name. You then shall be woman, Esha, because you were taken out of man and fashioned by God. So you are created to be fulfilled image bearers, enjoying the gifts God has given you. But here's the question. I say all this to say this. To what end? This is what we're trying to get to. As creatures, how do we be a creature? So yes, I'm a creature. I get that. So what? What's your next fill in the blank? Being made in God's image is a vocation. I apologize for my voice tonight. I'm getting over being in bed for three days on sickness. Being made in God's image is a vocation. Vocation means job with a purpose. Does that make sense? Junior high kids, vocation. Okay? Hopefully all jobs have purpose. It does not end with a reflection of God. We are called to something. God did not just put us there and make Eve and Adam and be like, look at each other, enjoy. He did it. He called us to something. And this is what he called us to. This is your next fill in the blank. He called us to be priest, king, and prophet. Priest, king, and prophet. 
Genesis 2.15 tells us that God puts man in the garden to work it and to keep it. To work and keep also appears in Numbers 3 where they describe the duties of the Levitical priests. Thus, and this is your nest, fill in the blank, we ought to see the call to work, keep, guard, and cultivate the garden as evidence for man's priestly vocation. Man is called to sacred space, to work and keep sacred space in the world. Now, what do I mean by that? What do I mean by sacred space? Like you have a garden with a cross in it, and ah, you've splashed holy water on it, and, and now it's sacred space. No. Well, maybe. What is sacred space? Your family. Your church. The ministries and jobs God has called you to. The work he has put before you. These are all things of God. And therefore, sacred space. When it comes to kingship, which is the next thing... It goes back to Genesis 1. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed and its fruit. And you shall have them for food and to brew coffee. And to every beast, I added that part, and to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. Not only is man called to work and keep sacred space, And this is the part of king. He is also called to expand it in the office of king. As good king who looks out for the good of all creation as his image bearers. Not as a dictator who uses creation for his own means. But again, we're called to expand sacred space as king. Joe Rigney continues, To accomplish this task, man will need God's wisdom, and thus man is homo sapiens, the wise man. Adam is a royal priest, a priestly king, and he must represent and reflect God's character and rule to the rest of creation. Lastly, finally, man is also prophet. God has granted him authority to use his creativity and imagination to shape and mold the world in accordance with God's character and word. Therefore, as prophet, man is called to name God's world by first obeying and knowing God and then joining God in ongoing construction of his glorious temple city. We touched on this thoroughly when we discussed heaven last year. How the whole timeline of God's purpose meets this end. He gave us an imagination much like his to expand and make beautiful his kingdom. If you want more on that subject, how we are called to expand his kingdom here on earth and how we will use our imagination and gifts to expand his kingdom on the new heavens and new earth, go back and listen to the series on heaven on iTunes. It's called Aslan's Country. If you missed it, I think it's very good. Seeing our purpose as creatures gives us an understanding of God's gifts towards us. He gives us taste for enjoyment and for filling up energy to do good works. Psalm 
We need strength to fulfill our purpose. He gave us taste buds to enjoy getting the strength in the process. He gave us the opposite gender for the same reason, for enjoyment and to fulfill our purpose. You can't fill the earth without a boy and a girl. We are designed that way. God has given us a mission to fill the earth with worshipers so that his praise resounds from every corner of the globe. Therefore, he gives Adam a wife so that together they might produce godly offspring and extend the larger point. He gives us all friends, family, neighbors, that we might aid one another in filling the earth with his glory as the water covers the sea. The same is true for all of God's gifts. They are to lead towards God's purpose for our lives. The most time that... And most of the time, there is joy to be found in the means to those ends as well. So, next fill in the blank. Knowing more about how to be creature, how do we value things as creature? And this is the kind of point we're driving towards tonight that we're going to spend a lot of time in, in transformation groups. I've given you plenty of time. Um, we've discussed that you are creature. Is part one. Part two, which we just finished, was this idea that you are made with a purpose, namely a vocation as prophet, priest, and king. And that is to work sacred space, expand sacred space as king, and tell the rest of the world how awesome it is as prophet. Okay? But in the midst of that, this sounds all holy and happy, right? How do we do that? How do we as creatures establish value to other things as prophet, priest, and king? How do we decide, is that really worthy of sacred space or is that something we should get rid of? Should I, down the road, you know, marry this individual or not? Should I take this job? Should I go to this school? Should I join this club? How do I value these things? Am I using my time well? My not. So we've gone from purpose to how do we value things so that we can use our purpose well. Does that make sense? So that's part three. So we went through, I am creature, I have a purpose, and now how do I value things with that said purpose? How do I view the world in proper context as creature? So there is what we call, and this is your next fill in the blank, the principle of proport. Proportionate regard. I'm going to spell it for you. Proportionate. P-R-O-P-O-R-T-I-O-N-A-T-E. So P-R-O-P-O-R-T-I-O-N-A-T-E. Regard. Proportionate. Proportion. Okay? Everything's good in moderate proportion. Everything's good in proportion, right? So we call it the principle of proportionate regard. We do this naturally. You all are all pros at this. What is more important in the situation? Saving a person's life or finishing a project? Clearly, if we are following the wisdom of God, it is the former. So, do we view food, a spouse, or God equally? No, of course not. And living with the things of the earth and light of heaven requires understanding this principle and practically applying it. Jonathan Edwards articulates this principle better than most. He says, To determine then what proportion of regard is to be allocated to Creator and to His creatures taken together, both must be as were put in the balance. 
the supreme being with all in him that is great, considerable, and excellent is to be esteemed and compared with all that is to be found in the whole of creation. And according as the former is found to outweigh in such proportion is he to have a greater share of regard. If you missed that quote, that's fine. It's Jonathan Edwards. He's hard to read. So just being honest. Um, But if you got it, good. Edwards states that even God follows this principle. And therefore, if God esteems values and has respect to things according to their nature and proportions, he must necessarily have the greatest respect for whom? God. Right? Because he's the best. and Yeah, you get it. It would be against the perfection of his nature, his holiness, his wholeness, and uh, whereby he is disposed to do everything that is fit to be done, to suppose otherwise. Hence it would follow that the moral rectitude and fitness of the disposition, inclination of a, or affection of God's heart does chiefly consist in a respect or regard to himself infinitely above his regard to all other beings. Or in other words, his holiness consists in this. God is about God. So how do we fulfill the first catechism question in the sense of, you know, um, what is the chief end of men? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. How do we do that? We do it by fulfilling our role as prophet, priest, and king. Well, how do we do that in light of who God is? How do we value God but still value the things of the earth? That's this struggle we're going to wrestle through. And that's what we're going to cover in transformation groups. Thanks for listening to another Yak podcast. If you want more information on Yak, you can visit us at cccfrisco.org. Hope you join us again next week. Thanks for listening.